Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. We look forward to sharing our guest with you today. Steve Hoffman, or Captain Hoff, as he is called in Silicon Valley, is the chairman and CEO of Founderspace, one of the world's leading incubators and accelerators. He's also an angel investor, limited partner at August Capital, serial entrepreneur, and author of several award-winning books. These include Make Elephants Fly and Surviving a Startup. Hoffman was the founder and chairman of the Producers Guild Silicon Valley Chapter, Board of Governors of the New Media Council, and founding member of the Academy of Television's Interactive Media Group. While in Hollywood, Hoffman worked as a TV development executive at Fry's Entertainment, known for producing over 100 TV shows acquired by MGM. He went on to pioneer interactive television with his venture-funded startup Spiderdance, which produced interactive TV shows. In Silicon Valley, Hoffman founded two more venture-backed startups in the areas of games and entertainment and worked as mobile studio head for Infospace. Hoffman went on to launch Founderspace with the mission to educate and accelerate entrepreneurs. Founderspace has become one of the top startup accelerators in the world. Hoffman has trained hundreds of startup founders and corporate executives in the art of innovation and provided consulting to many of the world's largest corporations. Hoffman has a BS from the University of California in computer engineering and an MFA from the University of Southern California in cinema television. He currently resides in San Francisco. Enjoy this episode with Steve Hoffman. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. Today we have Steve Hoffman on the show. Welcome to the Action Catalyst, Steve. Wonderful to be here. Excellent. I know your uh, your nickname is Captain Hoffman. How in the world did you get that nickname? Well, that nickname originally came about when I was playing games. It was my gaming handle. But, huh. but then it evolved into my name because I run Founderspace, which is a startup incubator, and I'm like the captain of the team. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Captain Hoffman, I love it. Uh, tell us about fa- Founderspace and uh, your story. And I guess uh, take us back. Uh, how did you get to where you are today with uh, Founderspace.com? Well, with Founderspace, I originally began as an entrepreneur. So I did three venture-funded startups here in Silicon Valley, where I'm located, and and two bootstrap startups. So I did a lot of startups. And after my third venture-funded startup, I began to help my friends who were all raising money. They'd go, Steve, how do I raise money? You know, how do I put together a business plan? How do I reach out to investors? So I went through that whole process with them and I started to answer their questions. And I discovered that most of their questions were similar. So I started to post those answers that I came up with on my blog. And I called that Founderspace. So that was Founderspace.com. And then after that, more and more entrepreneurs kept coming to me, many of whom I didn't know, 
So we started to hold founder space roundtables. And then after that, a natural evolution was to do our own startup incubator and accelerator. So we began in 2011 and gradually we expanded around the globe. So now we have partners. We have over 50 partners in 22 countries. We're very active globally. We have incubators all across China and other parts of the world. And it's a very exciting time for us. Wow, that is great. What what would you say with with your experience? Uh, that's incredible too, where you have the global scale. Uh, so two two part question. What would you say for all startups around the world is a few of the challenges that you have to help them overcome? And then the question number two is, what would the differences be with a startup in Asia versus Europe versus America? Okay, well, some of the common challenges is you have to build a business and you can't, if you're going to get venture funding, which is what we specialize in, so venture capital, you have to not just have a good business, you have to have a business that's growing extremely fast and has the potential to become a billion dollar or multi-billion dollar business. So it's a particular type of business. A lot of entrepreneurs, they can start off with a decent business, but it just isn't the right fit. You know, there are different business models that work for different companies and especially for the venture model, you know, those venture funds have a lifespan of 10 years. So they have to put in their money and make sure they're going to get out big multiples at the end of the at the end of the term, at the end of 10 years. So that means you have to be on a track to go public or get acquired in a big acquisition, not a small acquisition. So all of these things are really tough. And then add on top, you in order to have that type of company that's really rapidly growing, you have to figure out in the marketplace a need that's not being met by current companies. You can't do what other companies are already doing. You'll never break through that way. You'll never grow fast enough. It's too competitive. So you have to find a new need, but not a small need. It has to be a big need that nobody's found. And that is the challenge. The entrepreneurs trying to get that product market fit really, really tough, especially for venture. That's why when somebody finds it, these companies tend to be valued so highly because, you know, it seems like there are a lot of unicorns out there, multi-billion dollar startups. But in reality, for all the startups that try and fail to do that, it's not that many. You know, we, we see these unicorns, but we don't see the thousands and thousands of failures, which unfortunately, you know, me being on the front lines, in the trenches, working with hundreds of startups all over the world and going to all these events and conferences and pitch shows, I see them. I see the ones that will never get funded. And, uh, you know, if they have potential, you know, it's my goal not only to help them and guide them, but also to help them secure capital and see, you know, and plan their growth, everything. So that's my job. Wow. That, that is so fascinating thinking through, you know, looking at hundreds of different companies. And of course, every uh, entrepreneur uh, that starts a company or founder wants to have a super successful globally scaling business. What do you think the, the key differences are between the people that make it and the people that don't make it? Well, I will tell you. Uh, the key differences are it doesn't matter your intelligence because there are a lot of smart people out there, but they're not all designed to be entrepreneurs. So some of them should be researchers in a lab. Others should be professors or doctors or lawyers. You know, 
But they, but to be an entrepreneur, you need special qualities, and especially one for one of these venture-funded startups. And there are three qualities that I really look for in the CEO, which is the most important person in the company, because they, if the CEO doesn't work, nothing else falls into place. It's a disaster. So the CEO, uh, the number one thing I look for is curiosity. I want a CEO that is curious, because if you're going to discover something new, something nobody's done, you have to be the type of person who's always asking questions like, why are we doing this? Why is everybody doing this? Couldn't we do it a different way? You know, what technologies are out there and always exploring and learning. The number two, leadership. You can't grow a billion dollar company alone. It just never works. So if you're not a natural leader, you'll never bring in, first of all, the other teammates to actually get this thing off the ground and implement your idea. You'll never be able to convince the investors. You'll never be able to go out and get customers. You'll never get the press. You have to have leadership. And then the third thing, equally important, is stamina. Like it's a long distance run. This There's going to be many ups and downs and kind of resilience, you know, bouncing back when you stumble, when things don't go right, which always happens, whether you run a small business or a big business, you got to keep going. And if you have all three of these qualities, chances are you, uh, you have a chance of making it. Not a guarantee. You still need luck on your side, but you, you have a shot at doing it. I love that. So just... To summarize, the CEO qualities of a successful business is number one, being curious, number two, leadership, and number three, stamina. Yes. That is good stuff. So tell us a little bit about uh, your your beginnings and how you got to where you are today and uh, the stamina piece of number three, I'm guessing you you know that one because you didn't just read it in a book somewhere, but you probably went through some of these steps yourself. So I, tell, <laughs> tell us a little bit about that. I went through, you know, you have to. So <laughs> I began, uh, I actually have a, two degrees. So one in electrical computing engineering, the tech side. And then I went and got a graduate degree in film and television. And I thought I was going to be working in Hollywood. And I actually began that way. And I rose, you know, I went into Hollywood at a very low position. And within a year, I was at a reasonably high position. I was a TV development executive at a large TV production company doing all this stuff. And then I saw an opportunity. I really saw at the time entertainment, uh, digital entertainment coming together with media And I decided I'd met the founder of this big game company, Sega, at the time in Japan and the founder and chairman. And he invited me. He wanted somebody from Hollywood to come over there and come up with new ideas for games. So I I jumped ship from Hollywood, went to Japan, started doing that, did it for a year. And then I decided, no, the real opportunity is to do my own company, not work for somebody else. So I came back to California, Silicon Valley and started my first company, which was a a game company. That company did very well. And then I was off and that wasn't venture funded. That was a bootstrapped company. And then my next company, I partnered with people and we did a venture funded business. We did three of these venture funded businesses that taught me the ropes. And after that, uh, I dove into helping other entrepreneurs and that was Founderspace. 
Wow, that is amazing. I feel like I just watched a little mini movie just hearing your story about that. <laughs> so. Well, there are a lot of craziness in the stories. You know, when you launch products, it is actually the venture business is very similar to the film business. It's a hit driven business. So just like film studios want portfolios of films and they're hoping that one of them is just a blockbuster and pays for all their losers, venture capitalists have a portfolio of startups. And they're, you know, they know that the, every startup they pick, they want to be a blockbuster, but they know they all won't. It's just impossible. So what they're they're betting on is that one or two of these startups will pay for all the rest. They will become the next Facebook or Google or Twitter or whatever it is. And when they IPO, it pays for all their losers. And that's the model. So it's a very similar model at its core. Wow, that's incredible. But what would you say has been one of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome and how did you do it? Well, the biggest challenge, I mean, there's so many challenges in doing a startup, but I'd say the biggest challenge is when the market turns against you. Like right now, it's a tough time for entrepreneurs with uh, COVID-19 and everything that's going on. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs are being affected, especially if you're coming up for a new round of fundraising. You know, there I'm an investor, so I do investing and I know all these in investors and everybody wants to invest. But, you know, people get conservative when when they are unsure about the market. So I lived through two market crashes. I lived through the dot com bubble bursting and uh, the 2008 financial crisis. And both of those times were extremely, extremely hard. You know, they're hard. They were hard on me being an entrepreneur, figuring out what to do. And, you know. Like a hit-driven business, you can have a business that's doing well for a while, like we did during the dot-com bubble. It was incredibly well. Like we had buyout offers. We were the number one in our field. We, we were doing a combination of tech and media, interactive television, which goes back to my background. But then when the bubble burst, literally all of our business went away. All the big TV networks who are our customers, the first thing they cut was this experimental thing called interactive online television. They just cut it. It was the early days and we were in dire straits. And I will tell you, I learned so much going through that. It was a painful experience, but it also taught me as much as my other successes have. And that is that, you know, you what it's like to be an entrepreneur when everything goes wrong and how hard it is to make those decisions like laying off your employees, you know, restructuring debt, all of those things, very trying situation, uh, but I made it through. And, and then I took that knowledge, which is, I think, the key for entrepreneurs. It's not to like dwell on your failures and it's not to ignore your fa failures. If you fail, you have to look at what you did wrong and be honest with yourself, but then you have to move on. Then you have to say, okay, I learned this, but I I'm not going to let it hold me back because uh, there are two types of mistakes entrepreneurs make in these situations. One is they just ignore their failures and they keep repeating them. They keep doing the same thing over and over, which is wrong. Or uh, they dwell too much on them and they, and they actually uh, get depressed and it brings them down and it, it limits and they don't take risks in the future. So uh, then they stop becoming an entrepreneur. Wow, man. Uh, that is great. And you mentioned something there that uh, I'd love to hear some more of your thoughts around, which is here we are, it's a state of emergency. We're in a pandemic. It, it is unprecedented times. And 
you're right, making it through the dot-com bubble and the 2008 uh, Great Recession has prepared you uh, probably more so now to be ready for what's happening right now. So for those uh, entrepreneurs that are out there where this is their first uh, crisis or their first emergency and they haven't been through these other downturns, what would you say is the uh, things that you're seeing people, whether it's in San Francisco and in the tech space or just business in general, what do you think the people that are going to make it out on the other side of this? Because it will come to an end and the economy will come back. What do you think the people that, that are going to be successful as a result of the bad situation, what are they doing right now versus the people that might not make it through this? First of all, you can't ignore it. You can't pretend like it isn't happening. Sometimes you try to keep things the same as they were. Well, the world changes and you have to be realistic and you have to act fast. So number one, when a crisis hits, you have to figure out what your runway is, which means how much cash you have before you run out of cash. And then you've got to make sure that you have a plan in place so that you can make it through to the other end with the cash you have. You can't count on getting more cash. And if you're a startup or a small business person trying to get investors in a, in a down market, extremely hard. Everybody needs money. So uh, you're competing against everybody and investors at the same time get more conservative. So there's less money and everybody needs more money. So what I tell entrepreneurs, first thing, figure out uh, what you can do to make your money last. And always plan for the worst case scenario. Don't plan for the most optimistic because life you know, will always throw a curveball and it, it won't be easy. Second thing you need to do is rethink your business. Like there are a lot of things you could do differently. And one of the beauties, like what I am doing now and what a lot of entrepreneurs are doing now is we're looking at the other end. And we're saying, oh, we have some free time now. Instead of sitting home and watching Netflix all day <laughs> or playing games or, you know, chatting with people on Zoom, we're going to eat. We're going to do a couple things. So one, learn. Like if you're watching uh, podcasts like this, you can learn a lot. I mean, you can educate yourself. So when you might not have had time before because you're just so busy keeping up. So improving yourself and improving your business. Like what can you do now? to make your business more efficient? Or is there new software out there that your team can research that we can use? Could we use this time to upgrade it? Uh, can we use this time to remodel whatever we're doing? If we have a physical storefront when nobody's in there, can we totally remodel it while we're just having downtime? What can I do strategy-wise? You know, Are there new technologies out there that are gonna impact our business in the coming year? How can we adopt those technologies? Can we, uh, can we gain when we come out of this, a competitive edge against all of all of the people we're competing against, you know, are, is there something special that our business can do that we're not doing now that we've kind of ignored? Myself, personally, I had a list because I always have 100 things I want to do. And as soon as this pandemic happened and I got locked into my house, right, you know, you're all trapped in, it looks like my office, but that's just a, a background. That is my office, but I'm not there. I'm actually at home. Now, uh, when, when I got locked in my house, what I did was I started going down that list, nailing everything. So we've been improving like founder space across the board. We're like developing new online programs. I'm reaching out to you, making these new relationships. I'm going out around the world remotely 
educating entrepreneurs. We're totally rethinking our business for the future. And that is what, no matter what business you have, I don't care what it is, you could improve it. Like it could be better. So everybody on your team should be working now to innovate on that business. You know, how do I improve that business? How can we improve processes? How can we make ourselves more efficient? How can we do more? So, um, you know, I teach this. My book, Make Elephants Fly, is all about innovation, like how radical innovation. And I really encourage people to use the downtime to innovate, to, you know, you have the time. This is the perfect time to do it because you'll be so busy once things recover. I love that. And I love the name of your book, Make Elephants Fly. Thanks. And it's the process of radical innovation. Uh, you know, we have a slogan at Southwestern Family of Companies, innovate or die. And we're the oldest direct sales company in the country. And we've had to innovate everything from our product line, where normally we've been selling books, to now having an online learning platform and getting our product line to meet today's demands of learning at home. So innovation, when we're doing it, it doesn't seem easy though. So, so tell us a little bit about making elephants fly and how you take, you know, for example, Southwestern Family Companies, an old company that was founded in 1855, and you motivate them to innovate. What, what are some of the things that you find that help like the how-to behind innovation? Wow, 1855. Not a lot of companies can say that today. So uh, congratulations. You've survived a lot, including the Great Depression. So uh, that is pretty amazing. So uh, innovation, one of the things I teach, there are a lot of facets to innovation, a lot of processes, a lot you can learn from different startups and how they do it, as well as large corporations and how they innovate. But one of the things I think is really important is you don't have to have a big idea to start innovating. A lot of people think, oh, I have to totally revamp the company, totally change, you know, we have to have, you know, a billion dollar idea or whatever it is to innovate. No, you don't have to. In fact, many of the best innovations start really small. So what I encourage companies to do are look at the people. Not everybody on your team is an innovator. It's just a fact. You know, some people aren't going to innovate. They, they're they don't think that way. They like routine. It's just not who they are. Other people are chomping at the bit for an opportunity to innovate and will do it if you give them the chance. So uh, where there's downtime now, where there's time where people aren't at full capacity, it's a perfect time to identify those people in your organization who really have the desire to innovate and the capabilities. And innovation doesn't have, have to be a big expense. In fact, the hardest part of innovation is not uh, money for it because you usually don't need a lot of money. It's, it's actually the brain power. So putting them together as small teams, like teams of anywhere from two to five people and, and having them get together and start to rethink all the different elements of your business. You know, one thing I like to do is I call it challenge your beliefs. So we all believe certain things about our business can't be changed. Like we just believe that because they've been done, we've been doing that way. Maybe you've been doing it that way since 1885. You've been doing it a long time. Mm -hmm. So, you, and it worked. But the world doesn't sit still. There's always new technologies, which means things will change. Somebody's going to figure out how to change these things that never change. So, write everything you believe down 
and start challenging those, saying, could we do it differently? What if we did it differently? What if we priced our, our services differently? What if we uh, created, uh, used new technology to enter a new market? All these different things. What are our competitors doing? Could we do something differently or better than them? List all those down, start challenging them, break it up into small teams. And the most important, this is the most important thing of all, you don't expect any one of the things you try to work. Most of them will fail. You run very small experiments. You come up with a little idea. Oh, could we improve this? And you test it out. And then you see the results. You really, innovating is about trying something and trying to discover if you can do it so much better that you generate more demand. Because there is demand out there for new services, products, the way things are better. Demand. And an innovator's job is to really find untapped demand. And sometimes, like when you see these companies, that untapped demand is enormous. Like I can give you an example. So one example is YouTube. We all know YouTube. You know, when they started, they were a video dating site. They thought, wow, video dating would be amazing. But lo and behold, nobody wanted to video date. They just didn't feel comfortable putting, you know, going online and doing video dating. Uh, so they had to learn that the hard way and they were failing. YouTube was failing. And then they had this video of a party they had. They wanted to share it with their friends. And they're like, oh, we could put the upload it to our site because we've already built that and just share the link. This little thing, this tiny thing that they did just for themselves turned out to be the thing that drove the explosion of video online. So people, because bandwidth was limited, you couldn't just send a person by email your video file. It just wasn't possible. But you could easily send a link to somebody that linked to a page where they could watch the video. Now, that small innovation that they stumbled on by accident turned into the biggest broadcast network on the internet. So that was a huge untapped demand that had just become available. It wasn't available earlier because broadband had come into play and people now had broadband. So they could watch these videos and have a good experience. And so in your company, in your business, there is probably, I don't know if it's that big, right? That's a, a, a huge business, but there are there are elements to your business that you could unlock if you start playing around with them. And if your teams are given the freedom to play, come up with these ideas, test them out quickly on a very low budget, like it didn't cost them much. They, YouTube had already built the back end for this. You know, they, they just had to try it. That was the thing. And then see what happens and measure that. Wow. I did not know that story of YouTube. That is incredible. And I love that. Well, this has been so fun, Steve. I appreciate the the insights, the inspiration. Uh, for the listeners, how can they uh, get hold of you? What would be the best way to stay in touch, to reach out, to hear more interesting ideas like this? Just go to founderspace.com. They can, uh, cont- there's a contact page you can contact us. There's lots of videos. I actually give lots of courses there, lots of videos. We have an online program that they can sign up for, a three-month online program. And if there are ways to collaborate in the future, conferences, things, you know, we're always open. We love it. I travel all over the world when I can. <laughs> well, hopefully that time is, is coming in the near future where we can all travel and see you in person. And uh, in the meantime, the, the, I'll be checking that out, founderspace.com. And thank you so much for being on the Action Catalyst today. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and 
look forward to continue uh, hearing more great ideas like this from you. Thanks for being here today, Steve. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.